This is Daniel Fugella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We love covering use cases here on the show. And it's not just about covering use cases for people in a specific industry. It's about showcasing what AI can do, what are the challenges to adoption and deployment, what are the capabilities of the technology, so that our listeners can think about how those same ideas might apply to their business, or if you're in the services world, how they might apply to your clients. Our episode this week focuses on medical devices, and our guest is Patrick Bangert, who is the VP of Artificial Intelligence at Samsung SDS. SDS is the services wing of Samsung, Samsung itself being a $200 billion in revenue company, the 15th largest firm in the world, according to the Global 500, which is calculated by Forbes every year. So a pretty substantial company with many, many holdings and medical devices being among them. Patrick this week explores with us uh, not only the use cases of artificial intelligence at the edge when it comes to medical imagery, uh, but also why AI might need to be at the edge when it comes to medical imagery. There's a lot of legal and regulatory considerations of taking medical images, whether it be from a CAT scan or from a biopsy, and piping that up to the cloud. This is the most sensitive information in the world. You know, your credit card number and your health data are about the most sensitive things about you. And those constraints, legally, make AI at the edge all the more important. So where is AI making a difference in medical devices? And how can we work around or deal with the legal constraints in order to still deliver value to patients? Patrick also talks a little bit about how the healthcare industry and the medical device industry might be able to overcome some of these legal hurdles to allow AI to improve even more quickly into the future. We're also grateful to have been introduced to Patrick through Kasako Research, who is the sponsor for this episode. Kasako Research runs the Edge AI Summit every year. This year is being held November 16th through 18th in Mountain View, California, but is also an online and hybrid event for folks who want to attend digitally. And Patrick is also going to be a speaker at that event. So we're glad that we got to catch him ahead of time and dive into some of his areas of expertise. Patrick is someone with a PhD in applied mathematics from the University College of London, uh, who also can speak business. And I think that comes through loud and clear in terms of his technical understanding, his ability to make it clear for a business audience. So without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Patrick Bangert with Samsung here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Patrick, I'm glad to be able to have you with us on the program here today, and we're going to be talking about AI at the edge, particularly in the world of medical devices, which is, I know, where a lot of your focus is here. We're going to get into some of the unique challenges of leveraging data and AI at the edge in in the medical space, but I want to talk first about what kinds of products we're talking about. People think medical devices say, okay, well, Medtronic is, you know, tracking my blood sugar on the side of my arm, and, you know, then I've got a big CAT scan machine kicking around over here. What kind of devices does your work involve with, and, and, and is edge relevant? relevant um, from your experience. Thank you, Dan, for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. We are dealing with medical imaging devices. So if you have uh, a smartwatch on your wrist, that's not what we deal with, even though those are very useful, of course, to measure your exercise and sleep patterns. We're dealing with technologies like an ultrasound, an MRI, a CT, an X-ray, and what's called digital pathology, which is where a biopsy is removed and put on a microscopic slide. Those kinds of technologies produce images that are relevant to telling you whether you are sick at all, hopefully not, or if you are, what kind of disease it is. And so the job of computer vision in this case is to detect whether there is a disease, 
diagnose what it is, to find out where it is, to find out how big it is, how advanced, and if, if it's cancer, you know, stage one, two, three, um, how advanced it is. And all of these outputs can, of course, be created virtually instantaneously uh, by executing artificial intelligence models at the edge. And the edge, in this case, is the device itself. Yeah, okay. So some devices are huge. MRI scanners take up a whole room. Uh, some devices are quite small. Ultrasound machines, you could transport it in your suitcase. And so there's obviously also a price difference here. But nonetheless, all of these technologies do produce an image that, that is then analyzed by AI. Got it. And yeah, so this sort of pathology space, what, what percentage of this for you guys is oncology specifically just playing in cancer? Or is it well beyond that in terms of where your products are focused? Uh, it certainly is uh, much more broad than just oncology, oncology. or cancer detection. But yeah. cancer is the primary uh, disease. So I would say about 50% of what we work on is somehow cancer-related. But cancer does go beyond just the one modality. Oh, definitely. I mean, well, you mentioned biopsies. You know, there's the CT scans. I mean, for bone cancer, you might even do some x-ray stuff. So yeah, certainly there's no uh, one one modality for cancer. And there's devices that are even smaller than a, you know, a CT scanner, for example, or, or what have you, where there's all kinds of applications around scanning someone's eye in order to determine what kind of diseases they might have there or taking pictures of people's skin and whatnot. And there's kind of a world of mobile diagnostics where that's just kind of leveraging the cameras that might exist on, on some kind of existing devices. Are you guys playing more in separate, more established, again, briefcase to room size equipment versus the smaller stuff? We play in the full range of spectrum. So we do have a fundus analyzer, which is the eye image. But the, the device that does take a picture of your eye and then analyzes it, it's still the size of about a desktop computer. They don't really come in, in very tiny. We, we have one application that deals with intravascular ultrasound. This is an ultrasound machine that is put into your veins. So it's extremely tiny, but that's just the sensor, right? The sensor has to be connected to the analysis device. And again, that's a suitcase. So ultimately, these devices have do, do have some you know significant size to them. Got it. So so now we've got a picture in the mind of the listener, and this is really an important part to tee things up. Okay, what's what's the application at hand? We're talking about a room size or a briefcase size device that is in some way looking at images, whether it's a biopsy of the inside of your muscle somewhere, or it's an x-ray or a CT scan or something, where we're creating images with an established device that has that purpose. And you know, now we're talking about doing the actual, coming up with some kind of a diagnostic diagnostic output through AI itself, being able to look at cancerous versus non-cancerous images, train it on past examples. Doing this on the edge, you know, before we started recording, I had talked to you about sort of why the edge and had presumed that some level of legality might be the main reason because the latency of piping it up to the cloud and getting it back down, you know, a couple seconds to know, okay, yes, this is cancerous, non-cancerous, not really that big. It's not a self-driving car where for two seconds late, we're dead. It's actually quite all right if we use more compute, but it's not quite all right from a legal standpoint. And I thought that your insights here were really interesting and something that a lot more people should be thinking about. Talk about the complexities legally of leveraging this health-related data in any kind of cloud context and why the edge is so relevant. Yeah. So let me just say two words about latency. Latency is not the problem by any stretch of the imagination. Just as a practical example, if you go into the doctors with uh, the question, do I have cancer? Until you get the biopsy results back, it generally takes three to four weeks 
not even days. It takes uh, almost a month for you to get the biopsy result. So if if you get an AI analysis, uh, you know, in 10 seconds versus a half a second, it doesn't matter. So latency is really not our problem here. The uh, legal work is you can imagine that, uh, first of all, the governments uh, of the world, not just the government of the United States, but the governments of every other country are behind the ball um, on AI regulation regarding any AI application, uh, certainly in autonomous vehicles, but medical is, uh, is even much more complicated. So the rules are not certain, they are evolving, and they are different in every country in the world. But healthcare, you know, deals with humans that are about the same throughout the entire world. So if you're thinking about attacking the medical device market, you suddenly find yourself operating in a few hundred different jurisdictions, dealing with patient data, which generally is considered the intellectual property of the individual patient in that country is going to be very, very complex. If you take an image in Singapore made by a Korean company like Samsung that I work for to be analyzed in a data center that's in the United States, you would then do a single transaction that involves three different jurisdictions and a private patient who will have to give a written you know, agreement for this. It's a nightmare. And so that's um, an issue of doing medical imaging analysis at the edge. It's done on the device that's in the same physical locality as the patient uh, themselves, as the doctors themselves. Um, it becomes much, much easier. And of course, uh, nothing has ever been made public. There is no hacking involved and you, you get the results. So legality is definitely the number one reason for doing this work at the edge. Yeah. So a few questions to follow up on this, because this barrier is interesting. Again, immediately thinking about AI at the edge, I'm always thinking about latency or, you know, maybe access to the internet is the problem as we sometimes find with these devices. But clearly here, this legal barrier is is the monster that we're wrestling with. Are there some applications where we might hope that over time through kind of the governments of the world getting their act together in different ways or finding some way to, to unify the, the the ability to regulate or leverage or anonymize this data where we really might need to leverage the cloud in order to get some of these diagnostics done. I mean, clearly some things like, okay, is this breast cancer or not? Sounds like, you know, in today's day and age, it's not going to be impossible to hypothetically give us a pretty good sense of likelihood, yay or nay just on the edge. But are there some applications where you have the hope and maybe other people in your field have the hope that we will be able to open up the cloud because we're going to need a lot more computer access to other information? What are some instances there if there are any? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the beauty of artificial intelligence models is that performing what's called inference, in other words, actually using them on an example is usually computationally very inexpensive. And so doing this at the edge is perfectly accessible. So access to computing resources is not the issue, but if you want to improve your AI model, if you want the AI model to learn over time and become better, it needs access to more data, preferably more diverse data, access to some of the conditions that are rare, access to people who belong to a rare category of some sort, maybe particularly young or particularly old people. You would need to get a hold of that data. Now, if you're doing stuff at the edge, you're never going to see that data. So one of the reasons of using cloud is to collect bigger data sets. 
But that, of course, comes at the cost of all the legal issues that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. This is a super important factor to bring to bear because I think the medical world will in some way, shape or form have to square this circle and figure out where the balance is here because the benefits of, you know, if even if we're just detecting some rare eye condition, for example, like you said, if we find folks who are, you know, Australian aboriginals, okay, we're getting the feedback right now, but we know that we've treated thousands of them and maybe based on some genetic hiccup or some propensity for them to have certain issues more so than others, we might actually be able to diagnose the 2001st one of them even more accurately if we actually could have fed that data back into the loop, which of course is much more computationally expensive and would involve more of those resources. So we train these things. I mean, we hear about a bajillion ways that they're trained. You know, we might pair up with some medical hospitals at universities, you know, cutting edge universities, or wheel some deal with some other giant company that has access to this data where we can train on it with some kind of a split and some kind of a cost or however they want to work it out. Maybe they take a piece of ownership, whatever it is. There's a lot of ways that we get the initial training done, but then it's out in the field. Now we're helping real people, but we're unable to start wrangling and pulling in these edge cases to strengthen this model. How is that as the modus operandi today going to hopefully improve in, in you know the five years ahead? Yeah, so the industry is struggling with those ideas. And in fact, the medical device manufacturers, the, the, the companies who make these things, they used to have the business model of selling the device, and that's it. And through digital transformation, through internet, through AI, they are slowly, slowly reconsidering their business models to become much more of an ecosystem of a membership-based uh, data sharing type model where there is an actual relationship between the manufacturer, the doctors, the hospitals, and even in some rare cases, the patients. So that data sharing can actually occur. The manufacturer might, in some cases, actually get access to real patient data in order to be able to improve their medical devices. Up until now, for the most part, the only data that the manufacturer ever has is from clinical trials that are surrounding the FDA certification of the device. And once the clinical trial is over, the devices are shipped into the field used by real people and the manufacturer never knows what goes on. So that is definitely a, a, square to, a circle to square. And so we need to figure out how to send data back to the manufacturer on a regular basis. And there are new business models involved and AI is, is at the heart of that. That's, of course, unrelated to medicine. That's, uh, you know, involving the whole business model, involving the exchange of data, uh, again, with legal issues. Um, but that's definitely the future. Okay, so we'll round out on this idea. I know we're coming up on time in a moment, but this is uh, some great stuff to, to leave our listeners to consider because, you know, again, AI is not just about plug and play use cases. AI is about unlocking new capabilities. AI is about altering business models. When the value of data becomes a lot of the brunt of the value that we bring to the to bear as a business, all of a sudden it has to play a more central role in, in, in everything that we do. And you're talking about a very big shift here, uh, which I think people should consider. You know, you mentioned this membership type model. Do you see a future where maybe people can opt to get I don't know, a slightly less expensive diagnostic test of some kind if they're willing to check a box and let Medtronic or let Samsung or let GE leverage that data to treat other people that are like them. Maybe people sign up for something when they, you know, if 
hospitals sign up with GE or individual patients sign up with GE in order to, to have some ongoing like understanding that this, this data will be used, but it'll be safe by these different methods. And you have an understanding with us, Mr. Customer, and we give you some benefit for doing that because we're benefiting by strengthening our product. Do you see this as where we're headed? Yes, I do. That's definitely going to be part of the future where both doctors, hospitals, and patients are going to be asked for their permission to participate in, in studies like this, and they will receive some form of reward, either a discount or uh, you know some kind of a, a, a gift. What an incredible world we're heading into, huh? Yeah, I mean, th this, this is the world we already live in. We all do that. For example, we have certain social media applications that shall remain nameless, where we donate our attention and clicks and in return, we get to use those applications free of charge. That is the same scenario as here, right? I'm going to donate my medical image with my metadata attached to it. And in return for that, I get something. Either I get a discount on my diagnosis or I get a, a second image for free, something like that. That connecting of the dots, I think, will, will maybe be a useful analogy for folks. I mean, I think the reason people resent these nameless uh, social media networks, I hope Zuckerberg doesn't uh, have the ability to, I don't think he can get into iTunes and shut us down. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm safe here. I've got a good relationship with Facebook people. You guys like me, right? With regards to the Facebook side, I think people are often resentful because it's not maybe super clear when people come in as to what they're signing up for. And it's, you know, advertising is always going to be a little bit abrasive and some people kind of have a natural aversion there. But in, in this case, to your point, it is rather similar. We're going to agree that that we're going to let folks use our data and it's going to improve their product. For Facebook, it's relevance of advertising content, time using the app. For you know a Medtronic or a Samsung, it might be the diagnostic capability of this tool that's supposed to help save lives. In either case, yeah, like you said, it's already the world we're living in. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, listeners. I, I like that as a point to end on. Patrick, I'm, I'm grateful to you for, for making a great analogy and bringing some good wisdom to bear. Thank you so much for joining us in the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Patrick for being able to join us for this episode. And thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. Again, this episode is brought to you by Kasako Research. If you're interested in reaching the Emerge global audience of executives and leaders with a focus on AI adoption, then you can learn more about Emerge's media offerings at emerj.com slash ad one. That's AD like advertise and then the number one, emerj.com slash AD1 and learn more about our sponsored podcasts, articles, white papers, and other campaign options for AI vendors who are looking to reach an executive audience. That's emerj.com slash AD1. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>